What's up? It's Andy Grammer with Jag. Hi, this is Carly Rae Jepsen, and you're listening to Jag. Hi, everybody. It's Joe Jonas hanging with Jag. This is Heather Knox with the hottest Jag I've ever seen. Ryan Seacrest with Jag. It's B.O.B. checking in with my homie Jag. So much swag with my homie Jag. It's the Jag Show podcast. Hands down, my favorite thing about the world of podcasting is how friendly and collaborative the space is. My guest today is an OG in the world of podcasting. While Apple just went over a million shows, Evo Terror is credited with being just the 40th podcaster ever. He's a podcast strategist and literally wrote the book, Podcasting for Dummies. I reached out to him this week and he said, not only would I be honored to come on your show, I'll record with you at 8 a.m. local time on a Saturday. Evo, thanks for coming on the JAG show. Sure thing, man. Happy to be here. So the reason I reached out to you is because of a recent episode of your show, Podcast Pontifications. I talk a lot on the show about the complicated relationship between broadcasters and podcasters. Mm. On April 14th, you had an episode called Stay Out of Our Podcasting Lane, Broadcasters. (laughs) Could you explain that? Yeah, yeah, I I sure did. So the funny thing about doing a show four days a week, which is what I do on Mm. Podcast Pontification, which is, you know... John, is much more about the things we should be doing and thinking about in podcasting as opposed to the how-to stuff. Way too much of that. So the challenge with doing that is, you know, sometimes you've really got to think differently and look at the world in a different light. And so what I did actually with that column that you read about broadcast state of our lane, it really wasn't talking to radio broadcasters. Mm -hmm. I was really talking more about the phenomenon that we're all dealing with right now, which is this whole work from home environment. And even broadcasters now, not podcasters, but broadcasters are stuck at home. Yeah. And they are trying to do their show from home. And a lot of the broadcasters are are television personalities. You know, radio TV stations are shut down. And so they've got the hosts and the news anchors and everybody doing these various things from home using Zoom or using some other sort of internet device to capture their audio as well as their video. And it's like no one bothered to tell those people that when you're at home, it's okay to sound and look good. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Yeah, and not only is it okay, it's like, you know, hey, we podcasters have been doing this for 16 years. Right. People who have been broadcasting their own stuff from internet radio days have been doing it at home for years and have managed to make things sound And look, in case we put video on there, really good. It doesn't require the entire studio and the hair and the makeup and all those various things. I mean, sure, those things help drastically. But, you know, Sweetwater.com and (laughs) B&H, they're still shipping. It may take a little bit longer, but you could spend a little bit of money to get a decent camera and a lighting kit. And, you know, but even worse thing that bothers me is the... Is the audio quality, you know, get a... Yes, preach. Get a microphone. Buy a Samson Q2U. I don't... It's 60 bucks. I don't care. Just buy something so you're not shouting at your laptop for 20 minutes while you're doing a segment. It's just annoying to me. I feel happy to hear that you say Samson Q2U because that's generally what I get for my clients when they're recording remotely. And, you know, I saw a post in a podcaster's group. Oh, my God. Amazon is out of microphones. I'm so (laughs) glad you mentioned Sweetwater and B&H because there are a number of specialty houses that will ship this stuff to you and here in Detroit at Sweetwater is three hours down the road down in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So oh, yeah. don't be afraid to support those businesses. They do great work. You'll have it overnight then. That's awesome. So, and really the other part of the, of the story was not just, Hey, you should sound better, but also kind of a realization that I think they are intentionally sounding and looking bad. What do you mean by that? Well, I think it's because people like you and I, 
X radio guys who also have the, the, the great podcasting setup. We know how to make things sound great, and we don't really care about the environment in which it happens. But for most of the broadcasters, they're deeply invested in the way things were in the pre-COVID-19 lockdown world. And if, in fact, they are able to produce as good of quality stuff from their homes as opposed to their studios, what's the point of those studios? What's the point of those networks? That's a really good point. I think about my wife who has a corporate job. Mm -hmm. They were a very old school company and they were all in the office 40, 50 hours a week. And now that her department has been working remotely and doing meetings on Google Hangouts and all that, there's not a huge rush to get back into the building because they can accomplish their work from home. Yeah, you're exactly right. And so what I'm saying isn't really conspiracy theory spouting, which I'm not really into that sort of thing. (laughs) Me either. But just part of that realization. I mean, I think we're going to come out of this as a world, forget a nation, as a world, we're going to come on the other side of this realizing, you know, a good portion of us and the real jobs that we do, like your wife, like my wife, maybe they don't have to be in the office every single day. We've known that for a long time, but We've been very resistant to that as a culture, a worldwide culture. But I think that after three, four months, I mean, my wife's on day 49, I think, of of been working from home because she had to go to the office. They're not slowing down. In fact, they're more productive than they were before. So it's going to cause a a big restructure. And back to the conspiracy theory that Evo said here, um, I think the networks and the studios and the production houses are concerned about that. I think they're really concerned, and that's why I think they're intentionally not sounding great, is they want you, they're still expecting the new, this thing to go away and we get back to the old way of doing things so that it sounds drastically and feels drastically different once we go back. I'm just not so sure that's ever going to happen. It's a little bit like Darwinism. It's adapt or die. I think so. I don't know how the news personalities have been in Phoenix, where you are, but here in Detroit, we've got one of the affiliates, the anchor is in the studio, and then his co-anchor, it looks like she's in her dining room in front of her hutch on... Apple earbuds, not, and I'm like, what? What are you doing? Right. None of the other affiliates, the sports guy and weather guy, are both home on Apple AirPods, and mm. I'm like, yeah, you, you just winced. I heard you, and yeah. that, that's what I do when I'm watching it. I'm like, oh my god, like you could do so much better. Look, you and I both. Well, I have in my hand a set of Apple AirPods Pro right here. That is not what I am listening to you on right now. (laughs) I've got my 7506 headphones on talking into an SM7B microphone. I've got $700 worth of equipment between me and the computer interface that you and I are using, which people are going, oh my God, 700 bucks. If you're radio or TV, that's pennies. Right. That's nothing. That's really, really just nothing that's important. Goodness gracious, your computer costs more than that. Spend a little money to make yourself sound better, would you? Absolutely. I've also discovered, I think, in the last week that Apple AirPods don't play well with Windows computers oh. if you're trying to talk into them. It seems like it's maybe it's the Apple conspiracy theory, but I've had people on my show, if they've been on a Mac, the AirPods sound okay. Yeah. If they've been on a Windows computer, not at all. Just at that point, I, I've got to get desperate and have them use the dare I say it, the built-in mic on the laptop. Yeah, right. I mean, that's the reality. I mean, these things are great, don't get me wrong, but they're designed to, you know, passive listen. They're not really active device. And they click, they got all sorts of little challenges with that Bluetooth interface that go away when you hardwire stuff. So I, I, I love the future that Tony Stark showed us in the first Iron Man, which came out like 15 years ago, where he could just fling mm-hmm. things to the TV and nothing. You know what? 
turns out that was just a movie. And <laughs> when we actually do put hard wires together, it still works. So you know, let's talk in 2040 if we can get rid of that. But for today, you know, plug in, would you? It's just going to sound so much better. You're just giving yourself one more. Uh... One more fail point. Yeah. And the reason it's called Broadcaster Stay Out of Our Lane is it's clickbaity. <laughs> you know, it gets people's attention. Go, wait, what's he talking about? And really what that was is that's a comment that I've heard a lot of podcasters say, you know, about broadcasters when they're getting into the space, which I don't necessarily believe in. So it was kind of capturing that sentiment and then also trying to give an explanation of, hey, they're sounding crappy on purpose. That doesn't give you license to sound crappy, podcaster. Sound good every time. I like that. That actually speaks to a larger issue that I've talked about on my show, and I know you've talked about before, also having a media background like I do. Mm -hmm. What is your sense for broadcasters who are getting into the podcasting space, be it the TV or the radio side? I know it started out with morning show would just, you know, copy paste their content into a yeah. podcast or radio DJ X gets laid off from iHeart or Entercom this week because there's a million of those layoffs every yep. week, sadly, you know, and they say, OK, well, I guess I guess I'll do a podcast. Mm -hmm. What's your sense for how broadcasting and podcasting both, you know, converge and compete? So my take on this is from the perspective of someone who did that. I mean, for two years prior to podcasting, you mentioned at the beginning that I had the 40th podcast ever, which is true. But for two years before that, my partner and I had been doing an internet-based radio show. That's how it started life. We were doing to a 50, 55 show, uh, format clock, I believe, you know, and mm -hmm. designing it to be syndicated. And we were syndicated. We we're like six different terrestrial radio stations in the country had us back in the early aughts. We were even up on XM Satellite Radio. So that's how we both started. Not that we had a like, real training in that as a little smattering here and there, but that's how we began life. And so when podcasting occurred two years later, we looked at it as just another distribution channel. Sure. I mean, we were already making an MP2 that we were burning on CDs, which is crazy, and mailing to radio stations. Yeah, remember, 2002. Um, and we already had a blog because we had people who were listening to our show that weren't in those areas that said, hey, I found your stuff somehow. Can I listen to more? So we were embedding a real player. For us, it was just another syndication model. But what happened very, very quickly after that is we started doing a whole bunch of brand new programming mm -hmm. on our podcast that didn't follow that model that broke because we know we didn't need it like no one's going to pick up two dudes drinking beer talking about their favorite science fiction movies as a radio program <laughs> which is what we spent a lot of our time doing when we weren't actually recording the radio show so we said well let's see if they're interested in that and put that out as a brand new show with no constraints no limitations none of the things we normally would have to do we really jumped in and started experimenting with the model and that's kind of what podcasting to me is so I think it really depends on how you look at podcasting. You can look at podcasting from the medium side of things, or you can look at it from the content side of things. And if you look as a medium, look, podcasting is simply using an RSS feed to distribute an audio file through the internet. Right. That's it. Whatever the audio file is, you can make it whatever you want it to be. But when you really get into the true creativity is when you're thinking about the content, what is actually being produced in the podcast form that really doesn't work in any other form. I think that's when it gets interesting. So to answer your question, if you're a broadcaster jumping into podcasting, by all means, do it. Your audience is going to love you, but just recognize people don't tune in to a podcast in the middle of the episode. That's impossible. Right. <laughs> So you do not, you do <laughs> not. It's technically possible, but you, who would do it? Right, exactly right. Yeah, no one is ever going to do that. So you do not have to, every five minutes, repeat who you are 
<laughs> because again, I'm here with Evo Terra on the Jag Show podcast. And I have had to work with my clients, who many of them have a broadcasting background, or many have listened to radio for the longest time, to say, look, you don't have to do that. You don't really have to say, we're going to take a commercial break, we'll be right back. Look, they're not going anywhere. If anything, they're going to hit fast forward, <laughs> you know, and they'll, they're going to stay right. with you. But that's not helping things. So all those old habits you can get rid of, all of those chains that are holding you down, you can get rid of those and explore more cool stuff. Also, radio guys and gals, you don't have to stretch. If your content only takes you 10 minutes to get through it, great. 10 minutes is what your show episode length ought to be. If it needs to go longer, okay, it can because there's no real constraints. So for all the things you learned how to do as a professional broadcaster, bring all those to bear, but lose all the restrictions because it's, uh, it's yours to play with. I like that. A story I always tell one of my early clients the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, was interviewing a cancer doctor here in Detroit. Mm -hmm. And the doctor was, he was like Anthony Fauci. He was great. He was well-spoken. He spoke concisely, clearly, great, easy to understand. Mm. And we were planning on 30 minutes for the episode. She went through her questions, about five or six questions, and he answered them terrifically. And she was done. And she looked at me and said, okay, how long was that? And I said, 15 minutes. And she panicked. I said, no, 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 we're done. <laughs> it's all good. There's no reason to stretch to 30 minutes. Yeah. We've accomplished what we want to accomplish. The content is good. There's no reason to just add a bunch of filler to hit some artificial mark. If we're 12 minutes and eight seconds, so be it. Testify. Exactly right. <laughs> we let it be what it needs to be. And that's what our audience likes when we don't try and just fill it for no apparent reason. You mentioned coronavirus, COVID-19 a few minutes ago, Evo. Yeah. And I've seen so much conflicting data on, is it helping podcasting? Is it hurting podcasting? Sure. And the shifting and listening. What's your take as one of the leaders in the podcast space on what effect COVID-19 has had in the world of podcasting? It certainly had an effect. And you're right. There's a lot of mixed messaging out there because the data are mixed as well. So if you look at the major podcast hosting platforms, and I'm, I've been connected with these guys for the longest time. We're friends, and so we communicate mm -hmm. on some back channels. So I, I have a little bit of insight that not everybody has access to. Generally speaking, everybody agrees on to everybody in the podcast hosting space. Let's make sure who the everybody is. I preface mm -hmm. that. All of the podcast hosting companies agree that a couple of things has happened. One there are certainly has been a decrease in listenership for some podcasting verticals like true crime is drying up the list, you know people aren't downloading really? new true crime shows as often they did but part of that also could be look the true crime genre is invented like in what 2014 so it's been 6 years you know it may be a time for the trend to be over so that could be coincidental that's one thing we notice so the access to podcasts for certain genres are going down while some is going up if you're news that kind of stuff that's going through also audio drama and uh, podcast fiction is seeing a resurgence right now and i think it's because people are looking for an escape quite often. So interestingly that those that those would be increasing while true crime is decreasing. Yeah, and I think it's because we had enough bad news. Yeah. So, you know, we, we're living in the middle of bad news. And so maybe that's part of the thing. But you know, psychology aside, we're definitely seeing some shows up and some shows down. But what they all will tell you is that the time of day when people are downloading and listening to content, that seems to have shifted drastically, much later in the day, much, much later. And that's because we, for most of us that are stuck working from home, we lost our morning commute. So used to be we you download a whole bunch of content before you would take your hour and a half drive. Mm -hmm. If you lived in a major metro area, even to go 10 minutes, it was seemed to be 10 miles. That was about the list. But all that's gone. Plus, we're not going to the gym, working <laughs> yeah. out and listening for all sorts of time. So we're definitely seeing a, a change in listener behavior. But here's the cool thing. The third thing I want to say, all of them also report 
more brand new shows than ever before. Everybody's, every single podcast hosting company has noticed a sharp uptick, like 50% or more people jumping into podcasting. Wow. So that's that's exciting to me and also not unexpected at all. I mean, during the housing crisis, 2008, 2009 collapse, all the new things, all cool ideas came out the year or so after that as people who were sequestered, at, well, not sequestered at home, you know, laid off because they had no more job any longer, right. were exploring and doing new cool stuff. So I, I'm not surprised at all that regular people are saying, I've got 10 bucks a month, 20 bucks a month. I can pay for a podcast hosting company. I got a microphone. I, I can do as every bit as good as those crappy news anchors are. Let me uh, try <laughs> my hand at making the show. So we're seeing a lot of brand new content being made, and that's kind of exciting. So let's zoom out for a second. Regardless of coronavirus, before this whole thing started, as somebody yeah. who's been in this space for a decade and a half, and more than a decade and a half, actually, yeah. how far has it come in the time you've been here podcasting, and what's your sense for where it's going? I know it's a really broad question, but kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that. Uh, it's an exciting time to be in podcasting, but it's been an exciting time since the beginning. One thing about podcasting I think people need to understand is, as cool and great as podcasting is, it is the slowest growing media we've ever had before. I mean, it it takes forever. <laughs> and if you just look at the penetration numbers of radio and TV and social media and these various things, podcasting is very, very slow. It's a it's a steady slog upwards. People do continue to do it more and more. But I mean, it's been around for 16 years and we're just now at, you know, somewhere around 30% of the population of America listening on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. You know, that's kind of small thing. But still, I, I think that speaks to a couple of different a couple of different reasons. It's just a very different experience being in the podcast listening mode as opposed to turning on your radio or turning on your TV. Those things start playing as soon as you turn them on. You know, that's, podcasting doesn't work that way. There is no player that you have to, I mean, you have to physically go and get somewhere. You know, even YouTube starts shouting at you as soon as you go to that website. Right. Podcasts don't, they don't do that, nor, nor do we want them to. So that's kind of been a, been a little bit of a hang up. But back to your question about, you know, what's the future look like? You know, I, I'm really bullish on podcasting. Uh, I think that we have seen a, a huge uptake in the number of people that are making content. We're seeing a huge increase in people's willingness to make good quality content. I think a lot of creators are, who have been avoiding the space are starting to look at it and have been for the last two or three years who really want to do something more than just be two dorks with microphones. Not saying you and I are two dorks with microphones. Okay, we are two dorks with microphones. But really exploring <laughs> the space and doing something more with it because they really can't do it anywhere else. You know, I was I listened to The Daily by The New York Times. One of the Every morning. It's, a, it's, it's part of my morning routine. Love it. And the great thing about The Daily from The New York Times is... Imagine that in print form. You can't. It's too long. I'm not going to read it. Yeah, no, you, you wouldn't do that, right? And so the New York Times decided to not go the, well, let's just do a whole mix of lots of different shows like our newspaper is. They said, hey, here's a new form for us to go explore things on a totally different level. Let's use all of the guts we have here from what it takes to make great journalism. But in, instead of doing great print journalism, let's explore what it means to do great audio journalism and not in a radio style format, but more of a explore what needs to be done. So I get really excited when I think of the powers that are out there who know how to tell great stories, who know how to make wonderful, compelling content as they look at this podcasting space and say, how can I redefine it to make it my own? So yeah, I'm terribly excited about it. You know, one of the questions that I get from clients all the time is the dreaded, how do I make money on my podcast? And then yeah. I come back with, well, short answer, you're not going to when you start out. <laughs> sure. 
unless you spend a lot of time with it or get you know a crap ton of listeners, and all of a sudden you've got you know Sleep Number and uh, and ZipRecruiter advertising sure, with sure. you. Right. But what I tell people is if you have a niche and you have somebody in that niche, I'll take 20 dedicated podcast listeners over a thousand people liking something on Facebook. It takes no effort to like a cat video on Facebook, but it does yeah. take effort and you have somebody's attention if they're listening to your podcast. Yeah. How do we convince people to start spending more money in the podcasting space? Hmm. That's a really good question about, because I, I like the way you change the direction where I thought the question was going to. And the reason they want we want them to spend more money in the podcasting space is to spend more time in the podcasting space and to really make much greater compelling content. So then the question becomes, what's the payoff on the other side of this? Why, why should I do that? I'm very fortunate that most of the clients I have are all businesses. You know, it's not hobbyists. Right. You know, when hobbyists say, how do I make money? I say, well, let's go look at the, uh, how much money did you invest on four by fours that are in your garage you take out to the dunes every weekend? How are you making money off of that? Oh, you're <laughs> not. Yeah. Okay. I remember that. Uh, but for businesses, when they start talking about that, I ask them, look, how can the podcast help your business? Not how can you get ZipRecruiter ads? Because I don't know, the last time I looked at your plumbing website, you weren't running ads on it. Right. So why are you, you don't try and clutter up your podcast episodes for your business with ads. That's not your model. You're not a publisher You're trying to share your knowledge and information, but getting them to understand, you know, what is it that your company does better than anybody else? What is your unique selling proposition? And how can you take that story to the people? Would they find it interesting and compelling? And a lot of them say, well, you know, I, I don't know that my business is actually all that interesting and compelling. You know, I remind them, can we go back to 2006 when Blend Tech had their whole series of Will It Blend videos, which is a blender company that they were putting iPhones and pieces of lumber in this crazy blender to show exactly <laughs> how strong it was. And everybody was, their minds were blown. And this company sells, was selling $100 blenders. Now they sell them for like $500. It's like, look, if these guys can figure out a way by making really compelling compelling content, you can too. But that's really the answer to your question. If your goal is to make mediocre content, then you don't have to spend much money at all. Hmm. But if you really want to make compelling content that people want to remark about, truly remarkable content that matters to your business and the people that listen to it, that requires a certain amount of energy and effort. And if you can do all that on your own and run a business, great. But if you can't, you're going to have to spend money on the outside to make those things happen. But you have to stay focused on your business objectives. Don't try to make money off of podcasting from weird podcasting metrics. No. What does your business do to make money? Let's put the focus of the podcast on that. One of the things that I love about your podcast and column podcast pontifications is you're not shy about sharing your opinion on things. And I absolutely love that. It's some, when some people tend to be more PC, you just kind of put it all out there. I'm going to ask you to narrow it down. Sure. Give me, if you can, your three biggest pet peeves about podcasting and where it is right now. Mm, let's see. Three biggest pet peeves about podcasting where it is now is, number one, we're limited by our views of the past. Okay. We've been podcasting for a long time. 16 years now. And it's like I said, it's a slow grow and all things have happened. Um, but the, the basic architecture of podcasting hasn't changed in 16 years. We still use RSS feeds. Mm -hmm. We still have a podcast media hosting company. We have podcatchers and all that stuff. So the basic fundamentals hasn't changed in a very long time. And with that says a lot of the mindset hasn't changed as well 
either. It's still the sta- same standard model out there. And I think that limits us. I think that holds us back when we really haven't taken a good hard look at things for the last, you know, at least 12 years or so. Things have been pretty stagnant. Mm-hmm. That's being more embracive of higher quality files, audio that's going out. That's mm-hmm. embracing new technologies that make things, that, that push things over on the computers, which would normally done by human brains. Instead, it was, there's a lot of things I would do differently, you know, just just if, I, if we weren't thinking so much about in the past with it. That's probably the biggest problem I see that's holding podcasting back um, right now. The second thing, I'm happy to say that we're actually changing. The second thing is that we still don't have enough penetration. Mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier, we have around 30-ish or so percent of the people in the States that listen on a regular basis. When you go to places like South Korea... It's like 60% of the population. Really? Listen to podcasts on a weekly basis. There's some crazy number like that. Mm, okay. So much deeper penetration over there. So I think that holds us back. But, you know, at the same time I say that, you know, 30% of the population, that's Twitter's penetration. And I don't know very many businesses that question the value of having a Twitter account, right? I mean, right. They, they, you may not be into it personally, but, you know, you still get the value of it. But I think that is actually changing as more people come on board, we'll see more uh, more of that. And I guess if there's a, the third thing that holds us back, which also I'm excited to see is, is changing, is better content being made. Right now, there is still a problem. If you randomly sample a podcast episode, there is a significantly good chance you will hear something that sounds like utter garbage. <laughs> you just You're will. Preaching to the choir, yep. Yeah, and I think that holds people, that holds the... 60 to 70% of the population that doesn't listen regularly, that holds them back because the things they've sampled in the past have sounded like garbage. And I'm okay with you making content that sounds like garbage. Look, I'm not here to say that at all. But I do wish that we had a way to surface better content easier for people so there was much less chance of them hitting something that just offends their ears. <laughs> Not the content, but actually the quality of the sound. If it sounds tinny and recorded in a bathroom, it's just, it's just you know, there's some crap out there, which, again, I don't want to get rid of it. I just want to suppress it, you know? I want Google to come along and make it to where when I search for something that it surfaces things that are good, you know, not just somebody randomly talking about stuff. Exactly. I want to ask you a couple fun questions about living on beer and sausage for a month. <laughs> but before I do that, I do want to get really technical for just one question because you talked about the audio side of it and you've got a pretty good sense for the technical side of things. Squadcast, which we're recording on right now, and I've yeah. actually been a big fan of them and I've used them with a lot of clients. They've unleashed this partnership with Dolby to make the podcasting sound a little bit more like you and I are in the same room. Right. And I don't fully understand this. Can you <laughs> dumb it down for me a little bit? Hey, I'm going to kind of jump on board with you and say I don't get it either, right? Some of the okay. some of the Dolby stuff is is kind of magical, but I can tell you what it's designed to do. Okay, please. I had a conversation with Zach and Rock before they made the big announcement. I'm a, a quasi advisor for for the guys at, at Squadcast, and they're great guys. They really, really are. Yeah, they really, really are. So here's the cool thing. So for you and I, it's not that big of a deal. A two person show. That's mm-hmm. it, right? With the Dolby enhancement, when when that's all fully integrated, what they will do is they'll bring in that great Dolby sound that you're ex- used to experience when you go to the theaters, you know, yeah. and the balls bounce around the audience. Back when we could go to theaters. Anyhow. Um, oh, those old days, I remember. <laughs> the, old day, the old pre-COVID-19 days. So they're going to use that same technology so that when their two-person conversation is had, there'll be a little spatial placement. So a little bit in the right, a little bit in the left. But here's the deal, John. You and I can do that right now, right? I mean, Squadcast is going to give us two different audio files. When you pull it down, you could pan me a little bit to the left and you a little bit to the right, so you get the stereo separation. Cool. Where it gets interesting is 
people who are doing three and four person shows. Okay. If there is a three person show, the Dolby enhancement will automatically set the sound in a triangle position. So huh. guest person one will be a little bit to the left. Guest two will be a little bit to the right. And maybe the host in the third position will be in the center, but a little bit in front of or a little bit behind your head when you're listening to it. And if there's four people on, it'll be a box pattern. So two on the left, but one slightly ahead, one slightly behind. Okay. Yeah. Now, here's the part that I, I mean, so that's what they're going to do. How they do that, I don't know. I really, <laughs> really don't know how that's going to happen. But I do know I've heard some pretty amazing sounds, from, typically from music, but also some great soundscaping to where I have noticed, like, it does sound like somebody's talking from behind, you know, and how, how that all works. They're going to do all that natively inside. So you just basically say, yeah, Dolby enhanced this puppy, and it will automatically spatial position people, which is going to be really cool. Really looking forward to I would say seeing it, but I guess hearing it might be a little bit more accurate. <laughs> I want to see how it looks, and I also want to hear how it sounds, because I want to make sure you know, that all sounds great and fine. But what happens when it gets bounced down to 128 kilobit joint stereo file? Will it be preserved? It probably will be preserved. But what about the people out there who still say mono files are smaller? No, they're not. Uh, when you put it in mono, what's going to happen then? Yeah. That's all gone, right? So we'll have to deal with our own realities of podcasters and our ability to accept that. That goes back to my first thing, 2006 thinking. If we get out of that mode, that will help us move the medium forward a lot better. All right, so you've written several books, including Podcasting for Dummies, but also you wrote a book about living on a diet of only beer mm -hmm. and sausage for a month. What yeah. was that like? What did you learn from it? It was a blast, so, so step one. I'll give you the very quick story. So sometime in that year, I had read a story I don't know, Men's Health Magazine or something about this guy who decided to do nothing but drink beer for the entire time of Lent. What is that, 40 days? I don't know. I'm, I'm not really like just, yeah. so I don't know yeah. what it is. And I read this story, and he had a friend of his brew him. Uh, he brewed a brown ale, which is pretty boring beer in my opinion. And that's all the guy drank. That's every bit of calories that he had for 40 days came from that beer and that beer alone. So no food, just the beer. No food, just a beer. Okay. So I read that story and I thought, man, I would get bored. I mean, I'm a huge craft beer fan. I thought I would really get bored of the same beer overall. So I got to thinking about it and I was over at a friend of mine's house who happens to be a, a surgeon and talking to Terry and I said, hey, what do you think if I was to do this maybe for a month, not for, not for Lent because I'm not religious and that would be a bad idea, but maybe for a month of October, I'm thinking of just drinking beer. And he said, no, 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 you can't do that because you need a certain amount of protein to go inside so they don't lose muscle tissue. He said, so let's just put a couple of sausages in there. And I said, you're a genius. <laughs> And both of us were kind of skeptics about a lot of a lot of things. So we thought, well, this will be a fun study. Um, so what's going to happen after 31 days of nothing but every calorie that went on my body either came from a beer or sausage. I would drink black coffee. I drink water, those sorts of things, but no other caloric intake whatsoever. And so okay. what would happen after doing this? So of course, I had to go get clearance from the, from the job. I had a day job at the time. But the good news is I was an executive at an advertising agency. And advertising has a rich history of drinking on the job. So it was very, very easy for me to get clearance from my bosses to allow me to do that. And also clearances from my team because my team did all the work. And so, yeah, we, I did this, and I, and I documented every day exactly what beer and what sausage, how much of each uh, that I had, and did a write-up at the end of the day how I was feeling. Sometimes I did the write-up the next day when I wasn't feeling so well, especially like there's a lot of Saturday morning posts because Friday's got a little 
got a little wonky um, out of that. <laughs> and yeah, so I'll, I'll skip to the end of the good news. So at the end of the day, I didn't die. Step one. Oh, I should, I should say this. Um, I went through every week. I went to see my doctor, my friend, Terry, and we did blood work, got me on the scales, did a full checkup, you know, with the idea, like, if something's bad, we'll just simply stop. Right. You're just eating. So you just, just we'll just bail on it. Well, not only did things not get bad, the things got better. Really? By the end of the diet, my cholesterol had cut by a third, and my really bad cholesterol was down by half. Wow. My liver enzymes never blipped, so that's when you're you know, drinking too much. They sure. never went above baseline. I never got anything saying, you know, alcohol is going to be a problem for this guy. And I lost 15 pounds or 14 pounds that first time. Wow. Isn't that amazing? How much sausage and how much beer daily on average? On average, five beers a day. Okay. I'll give you my quick rundown. 10 o'clock in the morning was my first beer, breakfast. Uh, noon, I would have another beer and one sausage. So think like a regular sausage link. Yep. That's the, that's the, about, the amount I was looking for. Three o'clock, another beer. Uh, and then when I get home, five, six o'clock at night, I have another beer and a sausage, uh, and one more, one more sausage again. And then at the end, you know, usually a nightcap, you know, eight, nine o'clock to get me to the next morning. And that was it. So five beers and two sausages on average every day for 31 days, you'll lose weight. And the reason you lose weight is, ah, look, I'm a normal sized man and I yeah. burn around 2,200 calories just sitting here in this chair talking to you with a microphone. If I did it yeah. all day long, I'd burn 2,000 calories. Do the math on the beer and the sausage. It's about 1,500 calories. Ah. I lost weight because of math. You know, there's a six, 700 caloric deficit that has to be made up and it gets made up by eating all the, you know, fatty stuff that's on my body right now. Works like a champ. Uh, now I have to ask, because I enjoy craft beer as well, is there an all-time favorite beer you have or favorite style of beer? I'm a hophead. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a major hophead kind of guy. So the great thing about being on this diet is it costs me to really stretch because, look, a triple IPA is wonderful, but not at 10 o'clock in the morning. Oof. Even crazy hopheads like me don't want it at 10 o'clock in the morning. We don't want our taste buds to be assaulted that quickly. So I do a lot of... <laughs> I do a lot of the uh, the fruity style beers, you know, yeah. um, would would be great in, in the morning, and then you know, typically like a like a brown ale or something on the little sweeter side for lunch, and then as the day continues to progress, and I would get you know typically more and more bitter. Even played around with the sours and the gusses, which I'm, I never was a big fan of, but when I'm looking for some variety, you know, on day twelve when you're kind of bored of this whole stuff, then yeah, you're definitely trying to mix things up a bit. Variety in the sausage, too, I'd imagine. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, t I mean, sausage means meat that was originally put in a tube. So, you know. <laughs> Don't ask how it's made, right? <laughs> no, you do not want to know those answers. So, yeah, from, I, mean, I live in the Southwest, so we have great chorizo down here, lots yeah. of good Mexican sausages, and breakfast sausages, and kielbasas, and just, oh, yeah, just, I just go to the meat store and just, you know, have a heyday, just playing around with different ideas and styles. It was great. It's like a weird episode of Top Chef and Chopped <laughs> all rolled into one. Exactly right. Evo Terra, OG of podcasting. I want to thank you so much for your time today. And in exchange for giving me your time today, of course, if you want to plug your uh, consulting website, social media, go for it. Sure. So if you are into podcasting, you should be listening to Podcast Pontifications. It's the only show that tells you what you should be thinking about. Not how to do things, not what to do, but just things you should be thinking about. It's 10 minutes. You've got plenty of time to plug that in. If you are thinking about using a podcast for your business and you would like some help, my company, Simpler Media, we only work for businesses and we make it as simple as possible to get podcasting. All you have to do is talk into a microphone. 
And if you want to see the silly stuff that I think about all the time, most of that is on Twitter, where I am at Evo Terra. Evo, thank you so much for your time this morning. I really appreciate you spending a little bit of uh, your Saturday morning with me. Best to you. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to the Jag Show podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe in Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes are published every Tuesday and Friday morning. For help with your podcast, find JAG on social media at JAG in Detroit or on the web at jagindetroit.com.